Good morning. Welcome to Christ Church. Merry Christmas to all of you. Like Jill said, my name is Paul Fowler. I serve as our Lake Forest campus pastor. I am so glad to see all of you here on our fourth Sunday of Advent. Uh, we're never sure quite who's going to show up on the fourth Sunday of Advent, but here you are. Uh, now I can see you. Now I know who's going to show up. And it must be some church rule that you have to do four Sundays of Advent. So if you showed up looking for the candlelights, we're going to get there this afternoon, so we'd love to have you back for that, but thank you so much for being here today. So I want to start off by asking you to imagine that you are eight years old. You're eight years old, and it is Christmas morning. You wake up, what does that day look like for you? Where were you at, were you at when you were eight years old on Christmas morning, Christmas Eve morning? Are you at a grandparent's house? Maybe you're at your house waking up in your own bed. Where are you going to be traveling to today? Who's the family members that you would have seen when you were eight years old? The cousins, the grandparents, the aunts, the uncles. Think about the food that you are going to eat, all the maybe games that you're going to play, the Christmas songs maybe that you might sing together or the movie that you would watch. What is your eight-year-old Christmas look like? But remember, you're eight years old. So your biggest hopes and dreams for Christmas are really found in what's under that tree, Right? What's that present that I'm going to get today because it is Christmas and this is what I'm hoping for and looking for and waiting for. So maybe some of you are saying, I don't even know what I wanted when I was eight years old. That was a long time ago. And for some of us, it was a really long time ago. So let me just walk through some of the decades and give you an idea of what you would have perhaps wanted, if you can remember, on Christmas Eve. So if you were eight years old in your 50s, this is where my decades start. If it's before then... God bless you. Maybe they didn't have Christmas presents then. <laughs> but in the 50s, the Christmas present that you probably would have wanted would have been a Mr. Potato Head or a Barbie doll. If you were eight years old in the 60s, you might have been looking for that Etch-A-Sketch or you were probably looking for the Easy Bake Oven. In the 70s, the Simon Memory Game, if some of you know that, or you were hoping for a Rubik's Cube, a lot of multicolored things in the 70s. In the 80s, Cabbage Patch Kids, that was all the rage. Everybody had to have the Cabbage Patch Kids, not me. Obviously, I wanted Legos. I was eight years old in the 80s. That's what I was looking for. In the 90s, if you were eight years old, your hope was going to be that you were going to get that infamous Tickle Me Elmo, which really started the whole battle. How do you get this present? Or a Furby, that was another one that came out, or a Tamagotchi, all these 90s presents. In the 2000s, eight-year-olds were looking for Bratz dolls or American Girl doll or Beyblades, which you can't really have in schools anymore, right? So those are not worth it. But now we come up to the 10s, right? So we have eight-year-olds that were just experiencing this or into the 20s now, for those of you that are eight years old. You're looking for anything that has a screen connected to it, right? Small screen, big screen, whatever it is, a screen just to look at and your parents will fight with you all day. Stop looking at that screen. That's what it looks like. Now, what if I was to say, did you get that present? Do you remember? Do you even know? Can you even recall that? Now, think about this Christmas. What's that thing you are most hoping for this Christmas? What do you hope that your spouse or your parents did not mess up again this year, like they did last year, and get you that thing, the right color, the right type, the right size? What is that present that you were hoping for this Christmas? Hopefully you get it. We'll see. Good luck out there. But what about 
this. What if I told you, you could have whatever you want for Christmas? What would you say? If I said you could have whatever you wanted for Christmas, what would come to the top of your list? Now, for some of you, you might say, all right, well, let's see. Car, boat, vacation, just a million dollars cash. What is that thing for you that you would, if you could have anything you want for Christmas, what would it be? But I said you could have whatever you want. So to push you a little bit on this, I would say to you, maybe perhaps you'd actually say, I would like less stress in my life. I'd like less sorrow. I'd like less difficulty. I'd like that relationship this year that kind of went south to be restored. I'd like to feel hopeful. I'd like to be happy again. I want to feel love. If you could have whatever you want, there's probably a lot more things that we would say we are in need of this Christmas. Which is why it's so important for us to look at the Christmas story. Because our greatest needs... And our greatest hopes are found in the story of a little baby that was born. And today, I want to push us a little bit further past that. You see, all this month, we've been walking through the series called Christmas Foretold, looking at different passages in the book of Isaiah. And what we've been looking at is we don't want you to have this notion that Jesus is the Christ, that he's the Son of God, that this was somehow made up by his followers after he died and rose again. This is something that the Bible has talked about for hundreds of years, thousands of years before Christ was even born. And so we've been looking at passages in the book of Isaiah, which was written 750 years before Jesus was even born, that shows there was a Messiah that was to come. There was a Savior that was to come, and Jesus, we call him Jesus Christ, he fulfills those passages perfectly. How can you have hope this Christmas? What is your greatest need, and how can that be satisfied? in the birth of this child. So turn with me, if you will, in your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 60. There's a pew Bible under your seat. I believe it's page 1063 and 64, if you want to turn there. Be helpful today, because we're going to be looking at a couple different passages. And before we jump into this, one thing I want to say is, first off, they only said look at 18 through 22, and since it's the fourth Sunday of Advent, that's, that's just not enough verses. I mean, we're only here for one service. We usually do 9 and 11. I'm usually good for about an hour and 10 minutes of speaking, so we got a lot of time. And there's probably nothing else going on today, so just kidding. Some of you that have never been here, you're going to be out soon. Don't worry. I'm not going to keep you here long. Uh, I'm going to try to summarize as much as possible, but my challenge to you is read through all of Isaiah 60, because we're going to look at all of Isaiah chapter 60 to try to understand what's going on in this story. And how can we find hope in our greatest time of need this season? I will say that whenever you're studying the Bible, you have to know what genre of biblical literature that you're in. And this is what we call prophetic literature. Isaiah was a prophet. And so what Isaiah is doing is he is talking about these things that are supposed to happen at some time in the future. And there's two ways that people usually go astray. People go astray when they look at prophetic literature. Because one way they do is a very humanist perspective that says, Maybe or maybe not that there is a God. And so whatever we read in the Bible and these people's opinion, these are just all about current events in this person's day. They would say they can't possibly be talking about what could happen in the future because there's no notion that there is a God and this could be prophecy that can be fulfilled in the future. Now, the other way that people go astray is they would say, oh, yes, I believe this can be talking about the future. In fact, I think it's talking about today. 
And you can get distracted looking at prophetic literature, and you can say, oh, this is this nation, and this is this nation, and this is this, and this is how it's all working. But the problem is you don't know for sure. I mean, if everybody that's read this story over the last 2,700 years said, oh, this applies today, we can't all be right. So our job today as we look at Isaiah chapter 60 is we want to figure out where does this take place in the whole story of the gospel. I'll explain the gospel as this. There is the fall of humanity, sin has entered the world. And then there is hope that there is a child to come, Jesus. He is the Christ, the Messiah, who will live, who will teach, who will die on the cross, who will be raised to new life. And that's the story of the gospel. But it doesn't end there. He's supposed to come back again. So how does our text today fit into that whole entire story as we think about this Christmas story? Well, let's look at Isaiah chapter 60 now. Page 1063 in your Bibles. So it starts off in verse 1 and 2, and it talks about this light and darkness concept. We talked about this in Isaiah chapter 9, and light in the Bible is interesting in the sense that in Genesis 1, God says, let there be light. He audibly says this and creates light, and he says that light is good. And then what happens, we see in Matthew chapter 4, and Isaiah talks about this as well, there is darkness in the lamp but the light comes into the world. That is the Christmas story. Jesus is the light that is born on Christmas Day. So we know that this passage that we're looking at is going to be talking about Jesus Christ. What I want you to see, though, in verse 3 is it says this at the beginning, nations will come to your light. This is important because if you turn to Revelation chapter 21, which is page 1,771 in your pew Bibles, if you want to put a finger over there, or I'll just read it for you, what we see is this same line is also mentioned there in Revelation chapter 20, 21, and it is verse 24. The nations will walk by its light. Now, maybe you would say, okay, well, one says the nations will come to your light. The other says the nations will walk by its light. How do you know that this is connected, Paul? How do you want me to believe this? Well, as we walk through this passage today, we're going to flip back and forth because there is numerous times where the book of Revelation is saying the same thing that we find here in Isaiah 60. That was written about 800 years earlier. And so what I want you to see is that what Isaiah is talking about is not just what happens on Christmas, but what's going to happen in the future. The book of Revelation was written, written by the disciple John, one of the apostles, and he is looking forward to when Jesus comes back again. So where Isaiah 60 takes place is far beyond the Christmas story when we look at Jesus' second coming. Look down, if you will, into verse 6 and verse 7. It mentions Midian, Ephaph, Sheba in verse 6. Mentions a few other places in verse 7 and verse 9, Kedar, Tarshish. And what it says in verse 6 is that these places are going to come bearing gold and incense. Now, all these nations here are mentioned in the Bible as being of the east, you see, Israel is right on the water, so there can be nothing west. So everything was considered to be east of Israel. And perhaps you've heard of a story, maybe in Matthew chapter 2, where these people come from the east bearing gifts. What do they bring? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, there's only two gifts mentioned here, so again, maybe you're not seeing it like I do. But what I think is helpful is we're seeing a passage where the birth of Jesus Christ is being foretold. We're seeing how this connects to the larger story that's taking place here. But if we look at verse 11, I think we're going to see a lot stronger tie to what is happening in Revelation 21. Verse 11 says this. 
Your gates will always stand open. They will never be shut day or night so that people may bring you the wealth of the nations. Flip over to Revelation 21. Let's look at verse 25 and 26. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. The same thing that's happening. These gates that are opened, never being shut. The wealth of the nations being brought in. You have to see the connection in the story of the gospel that what Isaiah is talking about is looking towards Jesus' second coming. If we look down at verse 16, there's this talk of a redeemer. I think what's helpful there is a lot of times in the Old Testament, this concept of a redeemer was mentioned specifically in Isaiah and Jeremiah, which this is going to be picked up in Luke 21, where it talks about how Jesus is our redeemer. Just seeing the connections between the old and the new about who Jesus is and what he came to do. He is our savior. But our focus today is going to be mainly on 18 through 22. Look at how it describes what this place is going to look like in verse 18. No longer will violence be heard in your land, nor ruin or destruction within your borders. That sounds amazing. And if we think about Israel today, in light of the recent events in October, there has not been a time in Israel's history where we could say that this has yet happened. A time when there's no more violence, a time when there's no more destruction, no more ruin. For centuries, it's been a land that's been contested and battled over. Isaiah is talking about a time that's far beyond our time even right now. Look at what comes next. It talks about how the wall, they will call your walls salvation and your gates praise in verse 18. If you look at Revelation 21, verse 9 through 21 are talking about walls and gates, talking about heaven, talking about this new city. Again, just the strong connections between the two. Helpful one to look at is verse 19 through 20. The sun will no more be your light by day, nor will the brightness of the moon shine on you, for the Lord will be your everlasting light, and your glory will be, and God will be your glory. Your sun will never set again, and your moon will wane no more. The Lord will be your everlasting light. If we flip over to Revelation chapter 21, look at verse 23. It says, The city does not need the sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it its light. I'm guessing there has never been a time in history that there's no sun or moon anymore. So what is this time talking about? It's talking about a time to come in the future when God will be our light. This is the future that we look forward to. This is the part of the story that Isaiah is talking about. Help a look at the end of verse 20 there in Isaiah 60. It says, your days of sorrow will end. Revelation 21.4 says, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. The old order of things has passed away. Don't you look forward to a day where there will be no more tears, no more death, no more sadness. It's not a time that has happened yet. This is part of the Christmas story. This is what we are looking forward to. Verse 21, it mentions there will only be the righteous people that are there. And I'll mention also in verse 22, this is helpful at the end. The last words, it says, I am the Lord. And in its time, I will do this swiftly. This makes me think of Jesus when he's talking about before he dies, he tells the disciples, I'm going to come back again. And he says in Luke 21, it's going to be suddenly. 
or Paul talks about it in 1 Corinthians as a twinkling of an eye. So what we have to see in the connections between Isaiah 60 and what is happening in Revelation 21 is that Isaiah is looking far beyond Jesus' birth, far beyond when Jesus dies and far beyond when he rises again. He's looking to the time when Jesus is going to come back again. How does that help us this Christmas time? How does that give us hope in this season? What does that mean for you with everything going on in your life, the needs that you have, the difficulties that you have? Where is the hope this season? What is our greatest need? This weekend, me and my family did our usual Christmas tradition, which is we will go downtown, we'll stay in the loop at a hotel for a night. And the reason we've done this is because uh, this afternoon, I'm going to head over to my grandma's house in Iowa. That's our tradition, is to be there with my family. Or we'll take the other year and we'll go be at my wife's family house. And so my kids usually spend Christmas sleeping in someone's basement. Not ideal, but you got to go see the family. That's their eight-year-old Christmas life. And so we do this because this is a time for me, my wife, and my three kids. We just get to be together. And if you're thinking, well, how do you do the tree? How do you do all the Christmas presents? What's that look like? Well, the way that we do it is this. There is no tree at the hotel. Um, And we don't bring a whole bunch of wrap presents because the way that we do presents for my kids is we'll actually go to the store and we'll say, okay, you can pick out whatever you want. Now, maybe you're saying, wait, how much are we paying this guy that he's (laughs) buying his kids whatever they want? Um, Well, there is no list of presents. There's no wondering, what do you want, kids? And can we do this? And can we do that? And here's the budget and all these things. You just get to pick out one thing at the store. That's what we do. Now, this is great. Parents, this is a great tip for you. When your kids are young, I have a 12-year-old, a 10-year-old, and an 8-year-old, their price tag on stuff, they have no concept. They're just looking at the cheapest thing possible. I had one of my kids one year that showed up, and he was like, I want this wooden train. It was $2. I said, you sure you don't want something else? Nerf gun, cars, whatever? No. And I was like, all right, here, take two more. $6 for Christmas. I mean, come on, that's a deal. You see, he had no concept that he could have anything that he wanted, and if he really wanted to leverage that, what would he want? What would he desire? You know, I think we do that same thing in our own life. God has met our greatest need. He has given us hope. But I think oftentimes we get distracted by such small things. What is our greatest need? What is our greatest hope? And how can we all walk out of here today not saying, oh, it's another Christmas and it's going to be darker and colder in a few days? What's our greatest need? What's our greatest hope? Well, two applications today before we go that I think will help you understand your greatest need and help you put your hope in the right place this Christmas. The first is this. For some of you today, you just need to put your hope in Jesus Christ. You need to put your hope in Jesus Christ. Your greatest need is to know that there is a God who loves you, a God who has sent his son to you, a God that loves you so much that he's not going to come and say, hey, I'm great and amazing, bow down. He's going to say, let me wash your feet. Let me die in your place. Your greatest need is to understand that there was a separation that happened with the fall of humanity and that there is a brokenness between God and us. And God loved us enough to say, you know what? I'll come down as a child. I can fix that. That's your greatest need. 
And it's easy to get distracted with all the things happening in our life, our health, our relationships, our finances, I get it. And those are important and they do matter. But your greatest need is to understand that there is a God who desperately loves you and has died on the cross for you. Will you put your hope in Christ this season? Now, maybe for some of you, you said, well, I've done that. I put my hope in Jesus Christ. But Christmas is still tough. I'm still going through difficulties. You need to hear that you need to put your hope in eternity with Jesus Christ. If you've already put your hope in Jesus Christ, I need to tell you that you need to put your hope in eternity with Jesus Christ. The story is not that Jesus comes down and now your life is happy. Now your life is easy. Now that you're going to get everything you want and everything's going to be comfortable and you're never going to have problems. And I think a lot of times what we do is we measure God's goodness by how good our life is going instead of by his love for us. That somehow if we get what we want, that then God is a good God and he's a loving God. And if we don't, what's wrong? What have I done? What has he done? We have to remember the story of Christmas. This is a broken world. Jesus didn't come down to a perfect world and say, hey, keep going. He came down to a broken world and said, I'm going to make it right. Well, maybe you could say, well, why isn't it right now? Well, we're in the difficult part of life, the wandering that we suffer here on earth. This is a broken world. This is not a place that we want to live in forever. And so what Isaiah 60 and what Revelation 21 is trying to get you to understand, this is not where you want to be. This is not all it's going to be. This is not the place that we're supposed to be. There's hope. There's an eternity that we get to spend with Christ. That is your greatest need, that there's a Savior that loves you. That's your greatest need, that you need to know where your eternity will be. Put your hope in Christ. Put your hope in eternity with him. I don't know what you got for your eight-year-old Christmas. I'm guessing most of us have no clue as well what we got. I don't know what you're hoping for this Christmas. And I'm sorry, I'm not giving it to you. I don't know what you want. But what's so amazing is that I think time after time, we put all our hopes into this day that somehow that present or this season or this thing will make us feel better in life. You have to remember that you have to put your hope in Christ. He has met your greatest need through salvation. And in spite of everything that you're going through, a hope that no one can take away from you in this broken world where there is suffering and you are going through a difficult time, no one can take away your future if your hope is in eternity with Christ. And that's our hope this Christmas season. And that's our hope that that's where your hope is in Christ and what he's done for you. Let's pray. Thank you, Jesus. As we remember the day that you decided to be the God with us, Jesus, we are so overcome and amazed at your love for us. How could you come down? How could you do this? How could you wash our feet? How could you die for us? God, I pray for everyone here in this room. May there be no one that leaves without putting their hope in you. Thank you for meeting our greatest need. And we celebrate your goodness this season. In the name of Jesus, I pray.